Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christagenia Internet Radio. Today is Friday, December 3rd, 2021, and this program is being pre-recorded Friday afternoon. We have Dr. Michael Hill with us here this evening to discuss the Charlottesville fallout, the fallout from the Charlottesville Unite the Right rally, and looking forward, what it means to the League of the South. We are not discouraged. After the aborted Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2017, teams of Jewish lawyers from New York and Washington, D.C. assembled to collect plaintiffs from among the Antifa-connected activists and from among the supposed victims of the James Fields auto wreck in order to file a lawsuit against all groups and organizing parties attending the rally. We have been waiting for the trial and outcome of the case ever since, and now the first stage has finally come to pass. On November 23rd, a jury in Charlottesville handed down a split verdict in the Unite the Right lawsuit trial, where they could not reach a decision on the most important, the first two claims in the suit which are the most important claims. They are related to whether or not there was a conspiracy in violation of federal law based on the so-called 1871 Ku Klux Klan Act. In my opinion, if there was really such a conspiracy, or if the conspiracy was provable, there would most likely have been federal charges. However, the grounds for claims three and four of the suit were based on a state of Virginia conspiracy law, a broader and vaguer law, in my opinion, citing a supposed conspiracy to intimidate, harass, or harm on the part of all the all of the defendants, and that was claim three, and whether there was also a more specific conspiracy to commit racial, religious, or ethnic harassment or violence on the part of some of the defendants, and that was claim four. The League of the South and its officers were not held culpable in claim four. Once again, there were never any criminal charges related to that claim either, or either of those claims at the state level. However, claims three and four prevailed with the Charlottesville jury, in spite of their lengthy deliberations. Sometimes I feel as if they were rushing to judgment in order to get home for Thanksgiving, and and the judge had even, in the case, had, had suggested they do that. But the League of the South was only found culpable by the jury in claim three as being a party to a conspiracy to, quote-unquote, intimidate, harass, or harm, even though none of the plaintiffs were directly harmed by the League or League members. And the League views its actions from a completely different perspective than the plaintiffs and, evidently, also the jury. Claim 4 only affected five leaders of the so-called alt-right, However, even though the jury awarded ridiculous punitive damages of $11 million for Claim 3, 
of which two million is attributed to the league and its officers. It is very unlikely to stand since the compensatory damages for the claim, which are supposed to represent compensation for actual injury, totaled only $7 for all nine defendants. There was actually a 10th defendant named John Doe in the original lawsuit, but I guess that just didn't materialize. The real John Doe maybe never stood up. Of course, I am not an attorney, but lawyers outside of the case have already stated that the case is governed by a Virginia state law capping punitive damages at $350,000 per defendant, I believe. However, there are even further factors in whether the plaintiffs will ever be able to collect such a ridiculous sum of money. One of those factors is the Campbell versus State Farm Supreme Court decision, United States Supreme Court decision. In that 6-3 decision, Justice Kennedy wrote the consenting opinion and said that the court reasoned that evidence of dissimilar out-of-state misconduct was an improper basis for punishing the insurer, meaning State Farm, for the limited harm and noted few awards exceeding a single-digit ratio between punitive and compensatory damages to a significant degree will satisfy due process. And due process protects under the Constitution, which we don't really have any faith in anyway, but due process protects a citizen from being unrightfully deprived of property in lawsuits or in fines or in anything like that. So, a single-digit ratio for punitive damages being less than $10 each for each of the seven injured plaintiffs, the seven plaintiffs who were awarded $1. I remember Michael Hill stating in social media within a day of the decision that he would be happy to fork over $70. I think you actually had used the term $63. Having listened to most of the trial, I remember League of the South lawyer Brian Jones asking the lead attorney for the plaintiffs, Kaplan, the Jewess, if she would like to re-argue that decision, Campbell versus State Farm, before the Supreme Court. Hopefully it will not get that far, and if justice truly is blind, it shall not get that far. But of course, we also know that the courts have been used as political tools in the hands of our enemies, enemies who always seem to occupy both sides of every debate. In contrast, one of the high-profile, multi-jurisdictional law firms which provided services to the plaintiffs, published an article titled, Charlottesville Plaintiffs Secure Justice Against White Supremacist Leaders and Groups with Historic Lawsuit Win. So they have actually taken a loss and, and turned it into a win. I, I, I mean, that's evidently lawsuit propaganda. It was the Fox News 
legal correspondent and, and had, had a totally different attitude to, to that where she had said, where, where she called the outcome of this case a major fail and a bad day for the plaintiffs and her attorneys. She used words like only to describe the amounts which were in the million dollar range and described them as a dent to the defendants. However, even if the plaintiff's, plaintiff's attorneys could possibly collect every dime of the original award, they wouldn't recover the expenses involved as they created and executed this lawsuit. There were several major New York and Washington, D.C. law firms involved with the plaintiffs in this lawsuit and probably a dozen high-profile attorneys that were involved in this. So I don't think they'll ever recoup their expenses. The Fox News legal correspondent is an East Asian female named Seema Iyer, and she's an attorney, and she counted this as a loss for the plaintiffs. But this article from from this law firm this Cooley LLC LLP I'm sorry which is which has offices in Virginia it's the only law firm involved in a case which had one office in Virginia where one lawyer because it's a small office had filed on behalf of the plaintiffs and all these other New York offices had come in from other states to participate in this case and were granted participation by the courts. So, this law firm, which counted this lawsuit a, a victory for the plaintiffs, one of the members of the law firm is Alan Levine. He's from New York City, not from Virginia. And he said, after the decision was handed down, that it's a constant battle to protect our dignity and try to rid this kind of racist, anti-Semitic attitude from the nation's core. It seems to me that the real conspiracy here is on the part of the law firms which cooperated with Antifa-connected residents of Charlottesville, such as um, Seth Wispley or Lisp Boy or Lispy Boy, I think is his real name, to create this lawsuit. But the odds are clearly not in favor of a poor white racist against a host of wealthy Jewish law firms in their own arena. But even if the $26 million award stands, and it's very unlikely to stand, it will send a signal to thousands of plaintiff's attorneys that perhaps the Supreme Court is not willing to uphold the decision it had made in Campbell versus State Farm, and also serves as a final proof that all men are not equal in the eyes of the law, especially if they are white men. Dr. Michael Hill, thank you for joining us this evening, and I hope to speak about the consequences of this for the League of the South and, and where we go with it in the future. Uh, thanks for having me, Bill. Uh, very very good uh, synopsis of what's happened there. Uh, I would add, too, that uh, on top of that uh, Campbell versus State Farm case, there's also a, a case in the 4th District of which Charlottesville is in and which the judge, I understand, is bound to follow. 
that also backs up that nine to one uh, maximum ratio of compensatory of punitive to compensatory damages. So we not only have the Supreme Court case, but a but probably more importantly, or just as importantly, a fourth district case uh, saying the the very same thing. So we're on really really solid legal ground to get these punitive damages reduced uh, dramatically, virtually down to nothing. And and that gives them seventy dollars, and we should just concede and pay that, right? I'm sure you agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd like to show up up there with a, about uh, seventy bucks worth of pennies and say, "Who the hell do I pay my fine to?" <laughs> Here's your money, seventy dollars right. worth of pennies, count it all. Yeah. Even if we could come up with six million pennies, it might be worth it. <laughs> six million. <laughs> well, well, it was one one point uh, of interest. I love, I love the symbolism. Right. Well, one point of interest in in this case is just that in counts five and six, which were only against James Fields, which I didn't mention in that introduction, he is the only defendant culpable in those counts, and in both cases, the jury awarded. Um, a list of punitive damages on behalf of some of the people that were in the vicinity. They weren't all hit. A couple of them were hit, but most of them were only in the vicinity of the car crash. And in each case, they were awarded $6 million in punitive damages. And <laughs> the symbolism of that cannot be unnoticed. Of course, <laughs> and the and the the ironic thing about it is that Mr. Fields is in prison for the rest of his life plus four hundred nineteen years. So, unless they're able to to wring this out of his insurance company, they won't see very much of that either. They will probably force that young man to scrub six million prison kitchen pots in order Probably. to help pay the something, bill. Something like that. <laughs> that's, that's right. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, was... we, um, we're very optimistic after this. I mean, if you, if you look at all the mainstream media reports, you would think that the plaintiffs and plaintiffs' attorneys want a great victory. Uh, but no, absolutely not. Uh, we are very, uh, very pleased with the outcome of this thus far. Uh, our people are already stepping up to help us pay the uh, the fees to our attorney, who, who, by the way, has done a very, very good job for us. He's very courageous for standing up and, and representing us, uh, very unpopular people, of course, uh, among the, uh, uh, the powers that be <clears throat> up in Virginia. But uh, our people have already stepped forward to help us uh, raise the money to, to pay for getting the motions filed and any appeals that need to be filed and uh, we're very optimistic going forward about this, that we have at least to this point fought these people uh, who had much, much greater resources than we did to a draw. <clears throat> and when all things are considered, uh, it's actually a victory for us because, as you pointed out, uh, Integrity First of America, which is the NGO that was put together just for this purpose of raising money for the suit, the rumor is that they spent about $25 million. Uh, and that's what they raised, and I think they spent it all. And they're not going to get very much out of their uh, re return on their investment, as they say. So uh, we, we think we've won a, a victory here, uh, not only for free speech and free assembly, but for white folks 
in general. So we're we're very happy that that Yahweh has uh, has chosen to uh, let things fall out as they have, and we pray that if this goes on and there is a, a retrial on the first two claims, that we'll prevail again. Well, well, if they retry the first two claims, they risk spending perhaps not another $25 million, but a, a, another great sum of money, probably close to that, in order to represent their case to another jury and come up with the same results. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think what the, what the, I think they have uh, a twofold purpose here. And remember, they can't get new plaintiffs. <laughs> They've got to go with the same old plaintiffs. And those plaintiffs, uh, I was in the, I was in the courtroom uh, while some of these plaintiffs were on the stand, and the defense attorneys, even the pro se the pro se attorneys, as it were, Chris Cantwell and Richard Spencer, turned these uh, plaintiffs inside out. You know, they made made them. Uh, basically impeach their own testimony. Um, so they can't bring in new new plaintiffs. They've got to use the old plaintiffs. And they weren't very convincing, Bill. Um, so, you know, what we have here will be an attempt uh, to maybe find a more favorable jury uh, and an attempt to make us spend more money on this. And, and I think that that may be what they're looking uh, for not necessarily a victory that that would be just a cherry on top of the ice cream for them, but to, to, you know, put us through another trial. But I I will uh, tell you this, we have the money. We have the money to pay our attorney uh, from our, uh, that that's, that's being raised from our people right now. Yes. And they're not going to drive us off the field of battle because of a lack of resources. I can tell them that we're in this to fight it to the end. And our people, some of them who are very well healed, will come up with the money uh, that we need. So uh, if, they're, if they're trying to, you know, play this game and starve us out, as it were, uh, they, they, they may end up on the wrong end of this deal. Well, right. I, I, I believe so. And I'm encouraged to hear that. However, I, I felt that way all along, all through this. So, yeah. It, it's um, that that there are areas where this is challenging to us, but it's it's not in those areas, and it's certainly not in our own convictions and and resolutions. No, it, it isn't. Now, you know, I I always like to, uh, and I know a lot of a lot of our people uh, in the in the league and in Christiania, and even the enemy will be listening to this podcast. And obviously, I'll admit the truth about this. It has focused our attention on this trial, uh, not for the entire last four years. We, we were very active in uh, 20, the rest of 2017, 2018, into 2019. And uh, last couple of years, we, we have uh, slacked off on some of our public activities to, to focus on getting ready for this trial. And there's no secret that, that you know, we... we could have been out doing some things in public that we weren't, but we are going to start doing that again. Uh, we're going to start, well, we're not going to jump in with both feet right away, but we'll be doing some, some public activities uh, in 2022 and uh, starting to build ourselves back up into that profile again, where we're out in the streets and, 
engaging uh, the people that we seek to convince and recruit uh, onto our side of this issue, which is the uh, Southern nationalist side slash white nationalist. And uh, we, we believe we'll come back even stronger than ever from this because we've been put in the crucible here. We've been forced to fight this battle on these terms, and we haven't shrunk from it. Uh, we've given it everything we had, we've had, and we will continue to do so until we come out victorious. Absolutely. And God, yes, God, God is going to, to bless our efforts if we are true to our word and our principles. I believe so. It, it's we are obviously the only organization in in this entire mess that that has upheld our Christian morality and and not faltered in the face of opposition. I, I was able to listen to a large portion of the trial and to your testimony, as well as almost all of the testimony of Michael Tubbs. Towards the end, my computer rebooted all by itself. There was about maybe 10 minutes left, maybe five minutes. So that was disappointing because it was at a point when Levine was starting to badger the judge for, for something to do with Tubbs' testimony. So, so I must say that both of you asserted your professions and stood by your principles without shame and really stood up to the devils who despise us all. The lawyer who interrogated both of you, Alan Levine, is a Jew. And the contempt and the hatred for both of you, as he asked his questions and heard the answers, was clearly evident in his voice. You, you could detect that hatred. I could sense the rage inside of this Jew as he questioned you and, and as you held your ground while he was testifying. So can you describe what you saw in Alan Levine? Because if there is an appeal or a retrial, you might have to face him again. I, I mean, I'm sure the results will be the same. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't uh, I don't mind at all facing him again. I saw a lot of hatred there in those beady little Jew eyes of his. And I saw uh, by the end of my testimony and the end of Mr. Tubbs' testimony, I saw a lot of frustration in him because, uh, you know, and I, I'm not going to call any names of, of any of the defendants there, uh, but some of them uh, – did what uh, my granddaddy used to call crawfishing. You know, they tried to back out of their position. Uh, well, and try, tried to prevaricate and, and to, to explain away. And Tubbs and I had, uh, had already uh, determined that we were going to represent the league honorably and well. And that meant standing up and admitting uh, to the things that we had said and the things that we had written without uh, any... Uh, apology or any uh, attempt to explain it away you know and we did that and i was very proud of that and i think that frustrated mr levine because he couldn't uh he couldn't embarrass us with anything uh, for example i had written something uh several years ago i can't remember exactly what year it was but it was called my pledge of allegiance and i pledged to be uh, a, a white supremacist, a racist, an anti-Semite, uh, an uh, Islamophobe, a xenophobe, and other other things, and any sort of uh, uh, phobe or, or whatever that was necessary to protect and advance the interest of my people. And of course, 
that was one of the first things that they brought up. And he looked at me and he said, Mr. Hill, are you a a white supremacist? And I said, yes, sir, I am. Are you a racist? Yes, I am. And so on and so on and so forth down the line. And every question, you could see him getting more angry and hateful and frustrated because I wasn't backing up and trying to say, well, you know, I really didn't mean that. You know, I'm really not a racist or an anti-Semite. I just said, yeah, you know, I'm a racist. I'm an anti-Semite. And then he finally said, are Jews your enemy? I said, yes. He said, are blacks your enemy? I said, "Uh, some are. And he said, am I your enemy? (laughs) And I paused for a minute. I said, yes, you are. Uh, And I would have liked to have said, because it's you who have me in this courtroom, sir. What do you think? uh, What do you think an enemy does? Try to destroy his his opposition. And here you are with me in this courtroom. And I knew they'd strike that from the record, but maybe next time I'll say that. But I I just I said, yes, you know, you're you are my enemy. And, uh, you know, Tubbs did the same thing as I did. And we were pretty much the only defendants that did that, sir. Oh, I, I listened to most of them. I didn't get the chance to listen to all of them. And a few times I, I couldn't even record or, or, or stay in touch with the trial. I recorded portions of it so that I could listen later. And I still haven't had the chance to do that, such as um, Cantwell's testimony, his his being interviewed and things like that. Well, well yeah, now he did well. He, he stood by his guns, too. I'll give Chris that that. Uh... The, those kudos he he stood by his positions but uh some of the others uh didn't no they they were wishy-washy they, they denied their positions that they, they, they were making excuses for themselves they were dismissing them as jokes or even in cantwell's case as entertainment and and even though cantwell did very good in in most respects you're right he, he was we actually thought that cantwell and and i've never had a really high opinion of any of the alt-right crowd but cantwell was actually a better lawyer than most of the lawyers he really was in a lot of respects even yes, though he, being, he really was it even though being pro se he could get away with things and would go places where no lawyer would go he was a better lawyer than most of the lawyers, and and that's just the the fact of it. What where most of the lawyers just seem to stick to stay simply within the guides of their procedures and make sure that everything was going smoothly procedurally. Cantwell actually put up a great defense, even when he was examining the the witnesses, cross examining the witnesses for the plaintiffs. Yeah, he, he did do a good job on that. I, I was very pleased with the way he did, and I was also very pleased with our attorney. Our attorney, I think, was a, by far the best attorney there because he uh, he got away from the procedural stuff and he got into some really some really good actual factual content that needed to be brought before the jury. Yes, he did. And but but you're right. A, a, a lot of the attorneys just uh, you know it was just procedural stuff, and it, I don't think it, it was very effective in the eyes of the jury. But uh, Cantwell uh, was very effective, I think, in, in arguing the an emotional case for this. And our attorney Brian Jones was very very good in arguing a factual case as well as a procedural case for us. So. Uh, you know, we we were very happy that, that the way we we have been represented so far. 
Well, that's good because I thought he did. I thought he did well in a lot of areas also. That the um, what well, one thing that that we failed to do, and and the defense side of this case was very very short. It, it's we don't have the resources that that New York and Washington D.C. law firms with eight or ten, twelve lawyers working on this case from out of state, not from Virginia, and, and all of their paralegals and their other staff working on this case, which is how they spent twenty-five million dollars. Right? We, we just don't have pockets yeah, right. that deep in order to pay for all teams of, of lawyers it, it's and teams of investigators and everything else that these plaintiffs had done that they literally used that they had one um that this one guy that's some sort of sociologist that served as a, a an expert witness for the plaintiffs examined like hundreds of thousands of chat room posts in, in order to find evidence of this conspiracy and and I'd like to get to that shortly also, but that's besides the point for now. It seems that some of these plaintiffs had actually perjured themselves. For, for instance, as Marcus Martin had testified that he hadn't played basketball since Charlottesville because he was physically unable. And this there are pictures that he posted on his social media of him playing basketball in 2019. <laughs> yeah, I saw some of those. That, now, I'm not, that didn't come up. That if, if the defense attorneys had, had the pockets that the plaintiff's attorneys had, perhaps that could have been brought forth in, in the trial, right? And it didn't. So Melissa Blair, I think, I think it was her. Is she the one that got the law degree? She testified she couldn't read a book since Charlottesville because yeah, of the right. emotional that stress. Her. That was her. And she got a law degree since Charlottesville. How do you get a law degree, <laughs> which is very difficult, and get admitted to the bar, which is very difficult to do? How do you do that without ever reading a book? Well, she is black, and I think it was maybe a little affirmative action there. <laughs> no, actually, I, th I think I actually I think she could read a book just fine. She probably could just read a book just fine, but she testified she couldn't. And, and yeah, that, that's that, exactly right. She basically perjured herself. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's circumstantial that you can't prove perjury, but how do you get a law degree without reading a book? It, it's incredible. The, the claim that she made was <laughs> yes, incredible. Seth Wispley also, he's another one that, that may have perjured himself on several occasions in his testimony, especially when it concerned certain um, relationships he had with certain types of individuals that can be established from his social media, if we had the pockets to, to dig into it and, and sit for days and, and, and be able to go back in time to stuff that was deleted from online, which these companies still retain, we don't have that kind of pocket that the plaintiff's attorneys did. And, and they still couldn't get... The, the League of the South, in any of, of this, um, I, I like to call it shit posting or fed posting, as it's often called. Mm -hmm. All these other right. groups in these chats had taken place in endless posting of hopes for violence or gas the kikes or run over niggers or whatever they said. But the League of the South, I, I didn't 
see any evidence that they were culpable in any of that. So the league it is <laughs> distinguished itself in at least that area because there was nothing posted that yourself or Michael Tubbs were truly embarrassed by or had to recant on that stand, where all of the other groups, or at least most of them, had been consistently embarrassed by posts that they made in social media. Well, here's, here's why. Um, we have made a point of telling our people that they shouldn't post anything on, on, online, on social media in particular, that they're not willing to answer to in a court of law. Yes, sir. Now, I've heard I, that often. Before the, before the Charlottesville trial, I've been on the stand, too, and I have had attorneys hand me uh, Facebook and Twitter uh, posts and said, uh, Mr. Hill, is this your Twitter post from this date and this year? And uh, I'd look at it and say, uh, yes, it is. Would you read this out loud, please? Uh, so I, I've been there and done that before. I know that everything that you post uh, on social media, online, anywhere, even in an email, you know, private email, is subject to being found and you are uh, ask about it in a court of law. And uh, we have warned our people, don't make stupid statements, even if they make you feel good to, to say them, because you're going to be required maybe to answer for them or some league officer is going to be made to answer for them someday. So our people have done a very good job of listening to that advice and not posting stupid stuff online like that. I mean, it's a lot of it is just, uh, you know, stuff to make you feel good when you post it. It doesn't really need to be said. Right. It's uh, high school locker room talk. So, yeah, school locker room talk, man. That's exactly what it is. Uh, and, you know, we're, we, we like to consider ourselves to be a little bit above that. And And even, yeah, you know, there's an important aspect of this case that I think was missed. If we were there purposely to commit violence, don't they think there should have been a lot more violence? <laughs> that is a good question. You know, one of the things that our attorney brought up <clears throat> is that the uh, the events uh, of, of August the 12th that we, the league, were involved in uh, saw none of the plaintiffs claim any injuries regarding. In other words, when we marched down East Market Street to Lee Park and went to uh, uh, walk, you know, walk through the uh, assembled multitudes of Antifa and Black Lives Matter there, uh, there were some fights, there was some pushing and shoving and, you know, things such as that. But none of the plaintiffs claimed any injuries from it. No, the none injuries of those that the parties claimed I'm sorry. Pardon? I, I don't think no, any of those parties the, were among the, the plaintiffs. The injuries that plaintiffs claimed were from the night before at the uh, torch march, which the league had nothing to do with, right. on the UVA campus, and then the James Fields automobile uh, incident there, uh, which obviously was two or three hours after the Unite the Right rally was over, and we were already out of town. So uh, our attorney said, you know, and I think that was the reason for the low 
ridiculously low compensatory damages because the jury knew that nobody got hurt. Right. There, there were no the the league was only found culpable by the jury in claim three, which is a a, a vague. Um, it, it's like a net that the Virginia state law for civil conspiracy. It is like a net that could capture almost anybody. I mean, we might agree to go to a football game. And if I run over somebody on the way to the football game and you don't, and, and the, the, the government or the plaintiff finds out that you agreed with me to go to a football game, maybe you're culpable for my running that person over. Yeah, you, yeah, I was you, part of the conspiracy. Because <laughs> we had a conspiracy to go to a football game. <laughs> that's what this seems like yeah, to that's me. Right. That's exactly that's exactly what happened, you know, because the, the judge instructed the jury that the, the purposes of a conspiracy might be 99% legal, but one person does one thing uh, and, and has charges brought against him, and that puts everybody under the net which is ridiculous. You know, it's just like you said, you know, you and I and, and, you know, someone else maybe get together and say, Hey, let's go to the football game. Okay. Well, I'll meet you at a certain place. Uh, on the way you get in an accident, it's your fault. And all of us are brought in because we all conspire to go to the game. Right. That's pretty much what we're dealing with under that Virginia statute. That, that seems to me exactly what the case is. And, and that's why in, in yeah, the yeah. claim, that the league was found culpable of, the compensatory damages are $1 each to seven people. But none of those seven people, and neither of the two people that got $0, were among the people that the league confronted trying to get into Lee Park that purposely blocked our way. And and that's, that's another right. thing is, is I have information that I just found this morning and, and I pass it off to Michael Tubbs and the other people in the, in, in, in our Florida chat that we have, it, it's a Southern nationalist chat. It's not an official league chat. Well, well it, it's, um, this group Revcom it's called, it's, revolutionary communists it's a communist party it's associated with communist party usa and revolution communism or something like that and it's it's um revcom revcom.us is their website and there are youtube videos available online i won't mention the channel because i don't want it taken down and i'm afraid if i mention it that they'll take it down, but I've already downloaded all the videos from this channel that identify the people that were blocking the entrance into the park as Revcom members. Well, and that's why our attorney. Yeah. That is why yeah, we need and, to get those to our attorney. Right. And and it's it's on video and it's on this webpage that they were there opposing the fascist white supremacist Nazis and all this talk. And and the um, I'm actually surprised that it hadn't been found earlier. But my point is that that is why none of the people that the League of the South actually confronted in the streets are among the plaintiffs in this lawsuit. None of them. And none of these That's people right. that got compensatory damages of a dollar 
in this civil lawsuit, in claim three, which is the only claim that the league is responsible for, none of those people were among the, the people that the League of the South confronted in the streets. They were at the torch That's march right. and the car crash, one or the other, or some right. of them were supposedly at both and, and got damages right. in, in both. But the claim four, it is, I mean, I think claim four is going to stick. That's my personal opinion. On, on Kessler, Spencer, yes. Klein, Ray, who's also known as Asmodor, and, and Cantwell. And that's because the compensatory damages, and this is associated with the torch march, and what happened at the, I think it's the Jefferson Monument on, on the UV campus. Yeah, right. And yeah. what happened there? And Natalie Romero and Kevin Willis were each awarded $250,000 in compensatory damages. So they must have been able to show that they had actual injuries, and they were awarded from those five defendants $200,000 each in punitive damages, and that's actually lower than the compensatory damages. And I think that's probably yeah, that, going to stick. that'll probably stick. But this claim three, where, where they each got $1, and only seven of them out of nine got anything, but they're getting $11 million in punitive damages. That's absurd. And and the courts have, court precedents will show it to be absurd, as you mentioned. Yes, that's right. That, that's very doubtful that that will stick. And and we didn't clash with any of those people. No, we didn't. Uh, and that's one of the things our attorney was uh, uh, able to bring out in, in front of the jury in his closing arguments that none of the, the injuries that these people were claiming, I mean, physical injuries, uh, in particular, could be attributed to anything that the league did. So right. I'm thinking that that's why we were only uh, included in uh, claim three here, which, uh, as we've talked about here, is you know ridiculous in the ratio of compensatory to punitive damages. So we're expecting that to be dramatically, drastically lowered. Seventy bucks. I'm t <laughs> I agree with you. It's seventy dollars. Yep, absolutely. The, the um, right. claim for our attorney did do a very good job at demonstrating that we had nothing to do with the torch march. Sending That's two exactly observers, right. as you said, doesn't mean that we're involved in a torch march. No. It means we just want to see what's going on. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I can remember. I don't remember who the two I sent were, but it was uh, at the end of our, our planning meeting on Friday night uh, there for the league, and, and a couple of guys came up and uh, expressed an interest in going, and I said, yeah, go on over there and just observe, and uh, if there's any, anything uh, I need to know, let me know. So, And I, I, I don't think I heard back from them, so I didn't realize uh, really what had happened until the next day. So. Well, I really believe, believe it's to uh, the... You know, it, we, we had had, and this was uh, an email between Tubbs and I that that they got in Discovery, and it was, uh, I think it was that Friday afternoon, August the 11th, and one of our guys had, had found out about the torch march and had found out that Antifa had learned about it and said, be careful, and I sent him something back. I said, this torch march is not our game. Right. So that was able to be put before the jury, and that pretty much summed it up. You know, we we were not involved. 
generally, I, uh, league members didn't even know about it. I didn't even know about it. I wasn't. No, I wasn't I even a league member it, yet, but we were there. But I didn't even know about it. Yeah, and, I didn't know about it until sometime late that afternoon or early evening. And and uh, it may have been this email that I got uh, from one of our members down in Louisiana who was kind of monitoring the situation for us, but wasn't there. And um, it was very fortunate that he sent it because I was able to reply to him, uh, you know, there be- before the actual event. You know, this is not our game. We're not involved in this. So I think that uh, convinced the jury that, you know, we were indeed uh, uh, being honest with them about this, that we had nothing to do with that torch march. And, and obviously we didn't. Well, I, I think it's to the league's credit. It, it really is that first yourself and Michael Tubbs were able to stand by all of your words on, on that on that witness stand and not be embarrassed by any of them in, in reality. I mean, there may have been one or two minor tweets or something, something to that effect. But no, there was really no embarrassment at all and, and showed no culpability at all in, in reality. As far as I'm concerned, well, that's from right. Everything I heard, yeah, that that that's right. Because you know, we we knew we knew that their their case against us was extremely weak from the very beginning. And what they would try to do is to paint Tubbs and I as really, really bad men who thought, you know, had bad thoughts toward uh, Negroes and Jews and other non-whites, you know, and that they were going to try to convince the jury that we were just bad people who deserved. Uh, you know, to, to have these uh, uh, liable claims charged against us. Um, and we figured the best way we could do that is just to do what we did, just stand up and, and say, yeah, you know, this is what we believe. This is what we wrote. This is what we said. You know, the first thing, Bill, that, that they brought up uh, to me, I think one of the first things anyway, was this video that I'd done at um, – uh, Tennessee State Park back in 2018, I think it was when I uh, they uh, I had it videotaped and we put it out on the internet um, of me burning um, a Talmud, a, co- a copy of the Communist Manifesto, and the uh, Israeli flag uh, in this uh, little fire pit that that we we had there at this park, and I made a made a speech and and all that kind of stuff, and they. To put that up for the jury and everybody to see. And I was just damn proud of it, you know. And, and uh, Levine said, uh, Mr. Hill, do, do you know that you're burning the Jewish holy book here? And I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> yes, sir. The Israeli flag, you know. I said, yeah, they're, in, they're enemies of ours. And the Communist Manifesto, I said, a Jew ideology. He said, so you think communism is from the Jews? I said, absolutely, it's from the Jews. So I, I was just so damn proud of that. You know, I wasn't going to run from that, man. I was just proud of it. You have every reason to be proud of that because it's true. What's Absolutely, it's the, true. The real shame is that the jury probably doesn't know that communism is entirely Jewish, both in its, in its creation, in its conception, and in all of its... Every time that, that it was experimented with or tried or forced in, in history, all of its manifestations in history are Jewish, including communist right. China. Absolutely. If it weren't for the Jews over there advising the 
the Chinese what to do, they would have never had communism. And financing the communists. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, well, that goes without saying, yeah. Well, that can be demonstrated yeah, in yeah, history. Chinese books. communism is a dual, dual origin. That, that can be demonstrated in, in United States government publications from that time. Of course it. Of, of course, course they weren't can. released for 30 or 50 years, but we have them today. <laughs> That's right. The, the, um, yeah, I'll tell you what, if we... I'm sorry. No, go you, on. you go ahead. It, it seemed to me that Alan Levine, and I hate to keep harping on him, but he would ask you these 30-word questions. And he consistently tried to get you to admit culpability of premeditated violence by presenting his own interpretations of certain actions. And then he only wanted you to answer either yes or no, as if it was him testifying instead of you. And, and then he would badger you with the exclamation. Is that right? Is that right? How many times did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was already used to that because I spent seven or eight hours during my deposition with that little son of a bitch, and um, I was kind of I was kind of ready for that. You know, I got I got to the point where, you know, when he he was playing the gotcha game, and you know he he would throw out all this stuff, and I say, uh, if you have if you have any evidence that shows me either saying or writing that, how about letting me see it so I can confirm it or deny it. And that would just cut the legs right out from under. Just let me see it. Let me see it, and then I'll tell you whether it's true or not. Alan Levine really did exemplify, and I've read enough of the Talmud to know, and, and especially the Mishnah, which is the commentary on law, he really did exemplify the spirit of the Jewish Talmud. And he really did exemplify the spirit of the traditional role of the devil, which is from a word in Greek, which means false accuser, that's portrayed accuser, in the Christian right. Bible. <laughs> and I, I just like to ask, is that how you felt when you were testifying? <laughs> yes, I felt, I felt like I was being uh, uh, cross-examined by a demon, interrogated by uh, one of Satan's demons. That, that's how Absolutely. I felt when I, I was listening to it. in his eyes. That, that's how I felt when I was listening to it. So you weren't alone. <laughs> Maybe in Charlottesville you were alone, <laughs> but not in spirit. During the, the oh, trial let me testimony, tell you, Bill, it was it was an honor to get to face one of the devils uh, own like that, one of his demons, to, because I mean that, that's a front line spiritual as well as a physical, uh, you know, tangible fight, and I was honored to be able to sit there and do that. Well, absolutely, and that's why I I don't even think a lot of people on on the right appreciate what we're really involved with here and, and what you and Michael Tubbs and the league have really confronted here. I don't think yeah, they appreciate think the gravity right. of it. I don't think it. they have any idea about it. Right. But that I do believe what were two things that really set the League of the South apart from all these other groups who were co-defendants in this lawsuit. And, and we have to learn from these things. And, and we must conduct ourselves in accordance with these lessons, the, the lessons that we have from the way that the plaintiffs use the chat rooms, the lessons that we have from, from the way that we, we must stand by our words and our principles, which you and Michael Tubbs had exemplified. And and guide ourselves by these lessons in the future. Really, and also we we need to realize what an honor it is to be able to stand up and face these false accusers and look them in the eye and not back down a single bit 
from anything that we've ever said or written or anything that we believe, because we are standing here as God's warriors. And I think a lot of those guys up there, some of them were, uh, you know, uh, uh, admitted atheists and all, uh, some of the defendants. Uh, but Tubbs and I were there as Christian warriors. And the thing that we wanted to do is to acquit ourselves as, as Christian gentlemen in, in facing uh, what we not only believed but knew to be the devil's children. Well, in my opinion, the alt-right groups and their leaders, the, the people that testified, showed a lack of resolve and unwillingness to own their words, a serious shortcoming among all those leaders who, who testified, who had tried to dismiss their own words as jokes or entertainment or as being misunderstood or, or where they couldn't do that, trying to distance themselves from them as far as they could. And, and that, to me, that capitulation, it, it destroyed their weaseling was absolutely apparent and and it hurt the entire cause because they appeared to be dishonest and that cost them credibility but it also damaged us i believe yeah that's that's true i think we received a little collateral damage from that because if the jury if the jury looks at you and says well you know they they don't stand by what they wrote or said can i really believe what they're saying now right you know uh, one thing I wanted the jury to know is that I was an honest man and I was going to tell the truth. You certainly came off as being an honest man. So did Michael Tubbs. I think so. I think we, we both did. And that's one thing that we wanted to impress, not upon, not only upon the jury, but upon everyone who was listening, because, you know, this goes beyond the jury. Uh, this, this, this trial, although there were a limited number of people who could listen, uh, what happened in this courtroom was important for the outside world to know. And it was a it was a stage. It was a stage that God has put us had put us on, and we were expected by Him, by Yahweh, to play the part that He assigned to us to stand up to these demons. And to tell the truth. And I think Tubbs and I acquitted ourselves pretty well doing that. Well, well, that's Levine kept asking you. He was badgering you. Did you believe that in 2017? Did you believe that in 2018? Did you believe that in 2019? He couldn't grasp the fact that you have always believed it and, and always will. He doesn't, from, from my own experience, the Jewish mind does not deal with principle. It only deals in matters of expediency. It can understand That's expediency. Right. It really doesn't understand the, the concept of unchanging principle. Exactly. Yeah, whatever is expedient, whatever gets you by, whatever gets you the most shekels in your pocket, that's what you do, uh, according to their worldview, but not ours. You know, and ours is based on the, the attribute of God that he is never changing. Once you grasp the truth and you know it, you don't deviate from it. Something else that happened at the trial that I noticed, and, and I, I'm not afraid of the words anti-Semitism or, or being called an anti-Semite or admitting that. In, in the way the Jews use the term, yes, I'm an anti-Semite. 
Why? Because I'm an anti-antichrist. So the way they use that term, yeah, I'm an anti-Semite. Yes, I'm a racist. Yes, I'm this. Yes, I'm that. God's a racist. I'm, I don't mind saying those things. I'm not afraid of their terms. But many of the defendants, upon testifying, accepted, consciously or not, some of the language of the plaintiff's attorneys, which described them. And, and one place where I was really disappointed by this is when... I believe it was Nathan D'Amigo was asked, when were you radicalized? And he answered it as if that were a legitimate question. I think they carefully chose those questions. I really do for certain defendants because they didn't ask that of everybody. They only asked it of that one that I remember. And, and he just answered it as if it was a normal question. So he's admitting that he was radicalized when in truth, it's the Jewish lawyers who were the radicals. <laughs> that's right they're no radicals yeah i wish they'd ask me that question when were you radicalized i'd be like what are you kidding me you're the radical really <laughs> don't you mean normalize sir yeah right I'm, exactly I'm a, normal, I'm a normal person so i i think that's something that we should watch in the future it is i, I mean if we're confronted with the term racist we all know what it means and that's fine but terms like uh, when were you radicalized radicalized I'm just a traditional white Christian. Mm -hmm. 20, 30, 40 exactly. years ago, most white Christians believe the way I do today, or, or maybe 50 years yeah. ago. Yeah, we don't they... need to let, let them claim the language like that. Right, it's horrible. Yes, it is. The uh, I, I have notes here that this might be too tedious, but this conspiracy and and i'd like to do this for, for the benefit of our listeners and and i'm actually skipping ahead of of a few things which, which i had but these um th these provisions this west virginia uh, i'm sorry th this state of virginia i don't know why i have west virginia on my mind it should be the furthest thing from my mind but this state of virginia conspiracy law that we were found, the League of the South was found culpable under in claim three. There's, I haven't seen an actual statute that the plaintiffs cited related to this claim. So that there are actual Virginia statutes which regulate conspiracies against businesses or trades or professions and and this conspiracy doesn't fit that this claim must be based on virginia common law which is often cited by the courts but which i haven't been able to find a, a good codification of yet i really didn't put a lot of time into it but i do have a document from a a Richmond, Virginia law firm explaining this Virginia state civil conspiracy. I, I would like to get this in just so that people, our listeners can see the vagueness of, of this law at, as we had kind of joked about going to a football game and, and, and you're responsible for my car accident because I had a car accident. So you were in a conspiracy to go to a football game and commit a car accident, I guess. That the Stating a claim in civil court in Virginia, which the federal courts abide by in the various states, right? Stating a claim for common law conspiracy under Virginia law. Under Virginia law, a plaintiff must prove four elements to state a prima facie cause of action for common law conspiracy. A, 
it must be a combination of two or more persons. B, to accomplish by some concerted action, which means acting in concert, right? C, some criminal or unlawful purpose or some lawful purpose by a criminal or unlawful means. And D, resultant damage caused by the defendant's acts committed in furtherance of the conspiracy. So I don't know how they quantify $7 worth of damage. Not on either. What were the damages? I would like to see what they thought were the damages. I would and, too. In, in order to meet provision D of this law, because that's the law. That's the way the law is worded, according to the law firm. Well, that's true, and I think that uh, probably would be the grounds uh, for an appeal of this, because you know maybe, maybe uh, you know somebody got a skint knee and had to buy a seven dollar box of band aids or something like that. But otherwise, I can't think of much uh, that seven dollars would 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 cover uh, for any uh, you know physical damages like that, physical injuries. Right. I mean, what injuries were they suffered? Did they suffer by the League of the South? What injuries did they suffer to to meet <laughs> Provision D? I I don't get it. I I don't get how they could read this law. And and come to this conclusion that we're culpable of eleven million dollars in punitive damages, or even seven dollars in compensatory damages. What are the injuries? Really, I, I know. What are the injuries that would cost even set would would require even seven dollars damages? You know, if, if, could could you send me what you just quoted uh, after we get uh, finished with doing the podcast today? I would like to see that. And where where it's from, so I could get it to my attorney. Yes, sir, I will. That that's just that that's the thoughts that I had when I read this early this morning. And and there are notes on it, right? There were two notes that the attorneys made. And and the first note, as the Supreme Court recently commented, and that comment comes from a two thousand and seven Supreme Court decision. So it's recently on, on a relative scale, right? The gist of the civil action of conspiracy is the damage caused by the acts committed in pursuance of the formed conspiracy and not the mere combination of two or more persons to accomplish an unlawful purpose or use an unlawful means. So, so it seems to me to even broaden the possible scope of, of the conspiracy. That's the way I read that. I know I read it pretty fast. So it's better that I'll include a link to this document when right. I post this podcast tonight. But, sir, I will send you a separate link. I'll send you a, okay. a link right. on a text. And, and a plaintiff cannot maintain for common law okay. conspiracy when the unlawful act underlying the claim does not allow for an award of damages. So did they imagine this $7 worth of damages so that they could add a punitive claim, a, a, a um, claim of punitive damages to their decision? They imagined the $7. Just so that uh, they could punish us for being racist. Position, sir. In, in my opinion, the damages were evidently only a token sum of $7 because they wanted to punish the defendants just for being racists. Could very well be. But in, in the end, uh, they may not have known of the 
cases in the Supreme Court in the Fourth District that limit uh, punitive damages relative to compensatory. So <laughs> the joke may be on them. Well, well, right, and it deserves to be because I, I did somebody reach the jury with this? I, I mean, this is incredible to me that they could award an eleven million dollar punitive damage for for, for a seven dollar compensatory damage. Yeah, there there may be somebody on the jury who knew about the limitations on punitive damages for very low compensatory damages, and this may be their way of bailing us out. Who knows? It might be. It it might. I I, I did kind of have that thought also, but then I thought, wow, probably not. I I don't know, right? I I don't know. We'll see what the outcome is. Well, I, if it wasn't, it, it's it's Yahweh's. <clears throat> If it wasn't somebody on there doing this on purpose for our benefit, it was Yahweh's mighty hand that did it. Yes, sir, directly. but the hand of Yahweh is in, in, in behind it all one way or another. The, the Last December, we spoke in, in a podcast here together. We spoke of how the Biden administration would ultimately portray us as criminals. And in February, Biden's State Department began to hold events portraying racism as a national security threat. So, so we may all end up being fugitives just for admitting that we are racists, which is incredible. Would it be fair to state that the only real conspiracy the League of the South engaged in is to enter Lee Park for a lawfully permitted rally to express the fact that we're racists? That, that's not against the law in 2017. <laughs> no, it was not against the law in 2017. I expect it probably will be one of these days, but, um, you know, you can't go back and uh, get us for something that was not not illegal when we did it. So I don't guess. Yeah, all we plan to do is go to Charlottesville and uh, attend a, a permitted rally at, at Lee Park to defend uh, a statue of one of our cultural and historical icons, Robert E. Lee. And if that is a conspiracy, making plans to do that within your organization and even with other allied organizations, then I guess there are going to be a lot of people out there who are conspirators of one sort or another. So we, we you know, we, we thought the whole thing from the very beginning was ridiculous. Uh, we believed, uh, and we, we, you know, we we filed a motion for summary judgment, yet the case dismissed. And I think against anybody because there was no conspiracy to do any of this stuff. Um, a lot of loose talk, a lot of stupid talk, as we've mentioned before. But there was no conspiracy. There were only plans that were made by people, you know, to get there where people would be staying where people would be meeting how you would get into lee park and out of lee park together and safely and you know those are not conspiracies to commit racially motivated violence uh and i think the jury saw that but also i think there were some on the jury that were determined that we were going to be punished because we just didn't think right so uh, there was a, you know there, there was a split uh split jury there and uh, we got off on the main claims and we got hit with something but i don't think it's going to be that bad against us so we'll see well i've actually 
I really hadn't thought much about Charlottesville since August or September of 2017, but I started to dig a little. And, and of course, now there is a lot more media on social media than there was then. So since the trial began, I have been able to locate a lot of video demonstrating that Antifa and local Charlottesville residents had initiated nearly all of the violence at the rally, or or perhaps all of it. And there is a YouTube channels that a lot of this video is available in. I, I was sort of disappointed that we didn't have the resources necessary to present this in a defense at the trial. I mean, I don't want to harp on that, but I, well, I just it, thought it, I had to mention that. Yeah, but well, sure. And look, if if we uh, if we get retried on those first two claims, you you can bet that this information will be uh, available to us, and it will be uh, be brought up for admission as evidence to the court. Yeah, we definitely need. Um... In my opinion, if we go to trial again with this, we do need to a, a better defense. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, and I can't speak for, for the league or for yourself, but it, it I, I was a little disappointed that a lot of this wasn't there in the court. Well, it's just like you mentioned. It's a matter of us not having the, the pre-trial resources to have all these researchers and legal assistants out there beating the bushes to try to dig all this stuff up. But we've had some people who have dug up some very, very important stuff that we were able to use. And now if we go to a retrial on this, we'll have even more time and more people out there digging. So, you know, we'll we'll have the evidence to support our position for sure. Wonderful. The, the, um, um, it, it's very, um, I mean, I didn't think you were beat down by by this decision i knew that you were actually encouraged with it and and so were most of us here in florida but it is good to see this reinforced that no we're we're not rolling over and playing dead or giving ourselves up to these devils that's what they are they're devils but i i know that's right well you know i'm sorry I was going to say, you know, in reality, the league is the only organization that was at Charlottesville that's still in existence. And obviously, we've had to, as I said earlier in the the podcast here, we've had to focus a lot of our attention, particularly over the last year and a half to two years, to get ready for this trial, uh, which means that there was some other activism that we couldn't do. But, you know, we're we're still alive and well, as the old saying goes, and... uh, I think our members are going to be very heartened by the outcome of this uh, of this trial, and that's already evident uh, in the in the fact that we've had some members that that for various reasons uh, dropped out by the wayside, uh, you know, a few years ago, and uh, they've started coming back. I think they're heartened by what they see. Uh, we lost. Two. And I'm I sorry, sir. We're being hampered. Reasons. We're being hampered and by a bad connection. I, I lost you at. Now they've started coming back. Uh, yeah, we we we've got people who have started coming back because they realize uh, that we can win this fight. That a we're right, and b that we can win this fight against these devils, and that the fight has to be fought. And I'm really heartened that these people are beginning to come back. 
and rejoin the league, and we're getting uh, we're getting new members every day. Uh, so I, I'm very optimistic about the future uh, to this. We we made our stand in August of 2017, and we've made our legal stand. Now we fought these people at, at, at as as I said to at the very worst a draw, and I, I think actually uh, dollar for dollar we we certainly. <laughs> We certainly beat them. It's a David versus Goliath situation. Well, well, this seems to be the best team of lawyers that... I'm sorry, sir. You're still with me. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Okay. We're really being hampered. I'm, I'm hearing beeps and noises that the quality of the call keeps degrading. I don't understand why. But in my opinion, this is the best team of Jewish lawyers that the Jews could put together against anti-Semitism since the Nuremberg trials. I, I, I don't know when they've done better. <laughs> I, yeah. I really don't. <laughs> There's, um, I, I, I can look at this list I have, and, and perhaps I'll publish the list with, with the... The, the podcast presentation, but I'm not going to pub- I'm not going to say it all here. But th- there are a dozen lawyers here that are almost most of them are apparently a Jewish just from their names, and they're from New York. They're from Washington. Only one of them is from Virginia. It, it's incredible to me, and and that this is what we've overcome. If we if we have a draw with these people, that then we're doing pretty damn good considering our own resources. Yes, this this is the mighty hand of Yahweh at work here on behalf of his people against his enemies. And I don't know any more fundamental way to state that. And if people want to be a part of this, and I, I don't see how any true Christian could not want to be a part of this battle. Because we, we've not only fought them, and they've had such superior resources by the world's standards, but we fought them on a battlefield of their choosing. And we still, at least, as I said, you know, at the very least, we come to a draw with them. And I think it's a victory, considering uh, what what it could have been. Uh, it's amazing. And I don't see any Christians out there who wouldn't want to be part of this. And my who have supported us throughout all this and who will support us in the future when we need it. I'm sorry, sir. I lost a couple of sentence there, sentences there. This is a horrible connection, and I apologize for that. I, of course, it's out of my control. It, it's, it's good to see that the league has some prodigal sons, people who left and, and are coming back now. And In my opinion, it's disappointing that they left it all, but it, it's always better to have them back than to have lost them forever, as the parable of the prodigal son expresses. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, as I was saying, I don't, I don't know if I got cut off of this or not, but, you know, this is the fight that, that Yahweh has put us in right now. And it's on the battlefield of the enemy's choosing. You know, lawfare, lawfare is a Jew specialty. And that's what this is, lawfare. It's yes, an it attempt, uh, an admitted attempt by them. Admitted. I'm sorry for this, this lawsuit from Roberta Kaplan herself was to destroy her, use the law to destroy her political enemies. Yes. And absolutely. Yahweh has prevented that through his mighty hand from happening. I agree.
that the that that's absolutely what they do and that is what they express this is an entirely political lawsuit and and that's why these Jewish yeah. lawyers from New York spent so much time in Charlottesville because they thought they had an opportunity to eliminate what they do believe are political enemies. I mean, if we wanted to wage a war against the empire, I mean, we could do that, but I don't think we're that stupid to choose that time and place and, and that method to do it by. It, it's not what we wanted to do, and it's still not what we intend to do. No, we, we're, we're fighting this. Hey, Bill. I'm sorry, sir. This is becoming harassing. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. I'd, I'd love to hear your response to that once more, if you don't mind. Yes, I will. I, I, I know exactly what I was going to say. You know, Yahweh has put us on this ground that would be seemingly favorable for our enemies uh, on in, in the courts because their specialty is twisting words, lawfare. Uh, destroying their enemies uh, in the legal system. And this is not our strong suit, not as, uh, you know, the, the true warriors uh, that, that we white folks can be. You know, we, we, we don't specialize in twisting words and, you know, cheating people out of uh, things that way. So he put us specifically on a field to our disadvantage, just to show his own power and glory, that he could use us as his instrument to defeat these demons on the ground that they fight the best on. And if that's not a manifestation of Yahweh's glory and power, I don't know what is. Well, I would have to agree with that assessment, sir. I would. It, it definitely seems to me that God is on our side, that Yahweh is on our side. Especially when in in this in in the only three claims that the League of the South was involved in, and we came to a draw on two of those claims where the jury couldn't make a decision. On the third claim, we appear to have lost, and and I believe that we are going to prevail. That we've won because eleven million dollars punitive damages on seven dollars in compensatory damages is absurd. And that $7 can't really represent any material damages at all. <laughs> no. And who says that, that Yahweh doesn't have a sense of humor? I, uh, this is absolutely absurd. And I think anybody with any sense and looked at it would just shake their heads and laugh. Right. And that's why I would pay 70, I would pay $70 in punitive damages just to laugh at these people. For the absurdity of it all, that you went to all this trouble, paid all these damn Jew lawyers $25 million, uh, and you ended up getting a, uh, a, a settlement from me for 70 bucks. Here, here's your $70. Go have fun. Well, we should start to save our pennies. Absolutely. We'll save our pennies and we'll pay them in pennies, make them can every damn one of them. Well, sir, it's been a pleasure to have you here this evening and, and to speak to you about this and to get this out there to, to um, Chris Degenio listeners and, and to a, a lot of the League of the South listeners that listen to Chris Degenio. 
I, I hope that the ADL well, and the SPLC and, and Roberta Kaplan listen to it as well. And Alan Levine. Hey, I hope they're li- Absolutely. I, I was going to say, don't forget Mr. Levine there. The devil uh, incarnate. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, they all are. As I, as I told people, uh, I was telling Mike Tubbs after I got out of that courtroom, I felt like I needed to go take a shower. Uh, you know, is not not a not a savory bunch to be around. That's for sure. Absolutely, uh, I, I appreciate I you having me on, Bill. It's always a, always a pleasure to be on with you. Uh, I will spread the word of, of this podcast among league members, where we'll have some of them listening too. But thank you so much for having me on and for uh, for doing your research on this and uh, get getting the word out about what really is going on with this uh, with this trial. Well, thank you, sir. And this will broadcast at 7 p.m. Central Time this evening. Pray, shall we? And thank you for being here. I think I've lost Dr. Hill once more. No, I'm here. I'm oh, here. okay. I, I was saying goodbye, sir. Pray, shall we? And thank you for being here. I, I'm, I'm sure that... Well, this will broadcast, I don't know if you heard me, at 7 p.m. this evening. Central time. Yeah, I, I heard that. Yeah, okay. I, I'm going to go ahead and uh, and put out uh, the links and all on my Telegram channel and various other things where people will know to listen in. Seven o'clock Central time, did you say? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. I'll go ahead and start publicizing it. But uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, you've done some good research on this, and uh, I look forward to getting some of that information from you about those videos and stuff because i'd like to get that to my attorney absolutely sir i'm going to post those video links soon i'll send you the links to my copies of the videos and to the youtube channel that i obtained them from uh very good appreciate that we can use all the help we can get if we have to go back to trial so thank you sir good night appreciate it. i appreciate it bill and i'll talk to you soon take care